Right. Thanks, guys. Um, I'm happy to be here with you guys. I'm going to just go ahead and start with some prayer. Um, Heavenly Father, um, I ask that you would just um, speak through me. Um, Lord, anything that's from me and from my flesh, Lord, I pray it would just fall to the ground and wouldn't even reach the ears of anyone here. Um, But Lord, anything that's from you and from your spirit, Lord, I pray that it would... um, not only reach our minds, Lord, but that it would sink down into our hearts and that it would begin to shape us and form us more into the image of Christ. Lord, I ask that you would just enter this place. Um, Yeah, in Jesus' name, amen. I feel really loud. Am I loud? Okay. I'm I'm probably going to talk loud, so I don't know. Yeah, so maybe you want to turn me down at some point. But um, so, hi, I'm Russell. She already told you that. I'm happy to be here with you guys. Um, I am from Paulding County. If you are from Paulding County, then um, you you know what it's like to be from Paulding County. If you're not from here, I promise that you will learn to love it. Um, but I, I do love it here. My wife and I both grew up here. We both graduated from East Paulding High School. And um, uh, it's been so good, but but around the time that we got married, we ended up going to a church out in Marietta called Stonebridge Church, which is a part of our church network, and we loved it there, and it was uh, during our time there that we felt like God started to call us to plant a church. Now, if you know me, um, which I do know some of you guys, man, actually, sorry, I, I While we were worshiping, there was just multiple things that were running through my head, and I don't want to just stick to this script that I wrote, but I want to speak from the heart. I'm really happy to be here. I feel it so much more, even just walking through the doors, I felt very welcomed by so many of you. And then I've also gotten to see so many faces that I know and recognize, and I'm so grateful for that. There's um, Matt Rollins, who's somebody that I grew up with, um, is a longtime friend of mine. Um, And there's the Leone family that like have loved me as if I was their own son and all of their boys are, are close and dear friends of mine. And so, um, and, and just in addition to that, uh, a huge part of our church is, uh, Cole Hansen, which if you don't know him, he, he was discipled here, really grew in his faith in vintage church. And so uh, I just want you to know how grateful I am for you all and the, and the role that you played in his life because um, his, his role in my life is significant. And um, I'm already getting emotional. It's not a good sign. <laughs> No, um, but seriously, thank you guys for uh, the way that you invest in others. And I'm grateful that this is a church where disciples are made and people grow in maturity and can feel sent out and can also be here and be missional and be um, uh, just investing in their community. And so I'm grateful for you all. Um, But anyways, back to a little bit of uh, our story, my wife and I, we, um, so we, we planted this church. If you know me like the Leonis and uh, the Rollins do, I um, am not the kind of person you would have thought was going to plant a church. Um, I'm, I'm just different than most pastors. You probably look at me and don't even think I look like a pastor. Um, And it's true, right? Like so much of me was, uh, God has kind of bent me towards 
the world, I guess. Like I just, I, I have a deep love and affection for those that don't feel comfortable inside these church walls. I love them. And my wife has a very clear calling from God on her life. And so when we felt we called to plant a church, we were thinking, what, what is it that our two callings are and how do they come together? And what does that church look like? What is it that God is trying to do in us and through us? And so we moved into an affordable housing apartment community in Marietta, Georgia. And we started doing church in the leasing office. Well, at first it was just our living room. Um, but for us, we just wanted to be a church every day of the week, right? I mean, we gather on Sundays in the leasing office, but we wanted to be the church at Dwell, right? Whenever we look throughout scriptures, it says the church at Philippi, the church at Corinth, whatever. It's because it was the body of Christ. It was those that were following Jesus that were living in a geographic space. And they were the church, right? It wasn't an organization that meets on Sunday mornings. It's not an event. And so we just wanted to try our best to live that out. I know that you guys understand what that is because, I mean, vintage 242, right, from Acts 242. I know that this is close to the heart of what this church is about and close to Steve's heart. But uh, we were trying to live that out in our community. And um, so we, we just, we live there, we work there, we worship there. We just want to love our neighbors and the everyday stuff of life. So about a year ago, we officially became a part of the Transformation Network, which, again, if you go here, I'm sure you're familiar that that's all these different uh, churches in the network, um, Stonebridge and Vintage and Riverstone and all that. There's more, but um, we became a part of that. But we look a lot different than most churches, and so it can be kind of hard for, like, uh, we don't want there to be confusion. And so they kind of came up with this new label for our church. Uh, they called this a missional expression of church. Um, so there's like the normal churches. And then there's us. Right. Um, which is, is fine by me. I think it's fair. Right. It is a fair. Um, it, yeah, it's a fair way to label us. We are a missional expression of church because we, we have this bent towards mission. Like we want to that so much of what we do in our structure and how we spend our time is all around like participating in the mission of God. And um, I think it's good for us to know what the mission of God is right for for us. Whenever we look through scripture, we see that the mission of God is the restoration and reconciliation of all things and all people. That's the mission that we're participating in. I get a dry mouth. Um, sorry, I'm a very honest um, public speaker. Um, so, uh, yes, we are a missional expression of church, but, and, and I don't think that there's anything um, that the heart of the Transformation Network is off at all, but I do think it's important for us to communicate that just because I'm a missional expression of church doesn't mean that you're not. Right? We're all Men, like the church, capital C church, those of us that are following Jesus are meant to be participating in the mission of restoration and reconciliation. And so that's what I wanted to be able to talk to you guys about today. This is actually the a revised version of the first sermon I ever wrote. Um, and so it's close to my heart. I don't know if it's any good 
but if God shows up, it'll be fine. Um, so today we're going to be looking at Second Corinthians chapter five, uh, starting in verse eleven. This section is titled "The Ministry of Reconciliation," um, and so oh, I'm going to lose this thing. Um, so I think that the passage is going to be up on the screen, or you can turn in your Bibles. But while you do that, I'm just going to give you guys a little bit of context. So at this point, what's going on is that um, Paul is writing to the Corinthians because the church there is very confused and struggling with a lot of doubt. Right. So he um, had gone there and there was uh, conversion and people started to follow Jesus faithfully. But then uh, after Paul left, there was a group of false teachers that came into Corinth. And um, these people were called the super apostles. And so in some ways, we could kind of view them as like a prosperity gospel kind of group uh, in some ways, because um, the reason they were causing so much confusion is because they were coming and they were well-dressed and they were well-spoken and they had the fog machines and the rock bands on Sunday mornings. And and like everybody was thinking like, wow, man, they've really got something important to say. Right. I mean, and that was kind of how they were discrediting Paul's teachings because they were saying, look at us. Look how great we are. Obviously, God's favor is on us. How could it possibly be on Paul? I mean, look at him. He suffers. He struggles. He still works a job making tents. How could he, how could he be in God's favor, right? Our message must be the true one. And so that started to stir up a lot of doubt and confusion in the believers in Corinth. And so Paul is writing to them to help them see rightly, to kind of correct their view. Um, and so we will pick up, I will read, starting in verse 11, I'll just read to verse 16 at this time. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearances and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right minds, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this. That one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. This is the word of God. So we'll pause there for a second. So Paul is talking to this church, and and it's pretty clear that he is just trying to say, like, hey, guys, like, um, fix your gaze back on what you're supposed to see. See the way that God has meant for you to see things. Like, um, don't view things according to the flesh. Like, you know our hearts, right? And you can look at these super apostles and, and you can look at their hearts and you can see what's really going on in them. Right? The same thing that you and I are able to do, but so often us, we, we're, we are so much like this. Like we're so much like the church at Corinth, right? How often is it that we look at other churches that maybe are growing rapidly 
you know, particularly prosperity gospel churches or something like that. And we see that and we go, oh, man, maybe God's favor's over there. Am I in the right group? Am I, am I supposed to be over here? But he's saying, no, no, stop looking at outward appearances and, and view things the way that God intended for you to view them and, and look at the heart. Look beneath the outward. The same way that God does, right? We see that all throughout Scripture, especially in the Gospels. We see that Jesus wasn't just looking at people's behaviors and he wasn't just hearing the words that they were saying, but he looked into their hearts and he knew their thoughts. And so today, I, I, my encouragement is I just want to be spending us, a, spend a little bit of time talking about identity, like what it is that we really are, right? I think that we can get kind of trapped or go back to the old way of viewing things and, and look through the lens of the flesh. We, we look at ourselves through that lens. We look at the world through that lens. And we look at God through that lens sometimes. But I want to talk particularly about the way that we view the world wrongly and the way we view ourselves wrongly. Um, so I think that, so I'm going to start so I'm going to start just with the way that I think that we view the world wrongly. I think we have this tendency when we're, when we're viewing things through the flesh to, to either desire or despise the world. We can kind of fall on either side of this fence. Some of us feel like we look at the world and we desire it, right? That's kind of what these people are doing is that they, they say, man, like, look at everything that they have. Look, they don't suffer. They're healthy. They're wealthy. I want what they have. How often for us, when we look at people outside of the church and we go, man, they are successful and they've got nice houses and beautiful wives or husbands and, and kids. They have everything that I want so badly and they're doing it all without Jesus. See, but... Am I in the right camp? I want what they have, but it seems like God's not leading me towards that, and, and that's frustrating for me. Or maybe we are on the other side of the fence, and we view the world with kind of disgust. We despise them. We want to remove ourselves from it. How often do we try to remove ourselves from the world? Where, I mean, the church has been guilty of this forever. Where we just say, no, 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 let's get out of this space where the wicked are. And let's, let's make our own little group over here. And let's not interact with each other. Let's build our fences higher. And let's widen our property lines. And let's just keep people out because they're gross. Because they're gay. Because they have abortions. Because I don't like the language they use. See, we build up our fences. We put our kids in private schools. And we only hang out with our church friends. See, but that's not the way that God views the world. What I'd like to suggest is that um, God has a different identity, and that identity can be a little confusing. But I think that that identity that he would give the world is he would say, these people are my beloved enemies. 
They're my beloved enemies. Now, I know that that might feel weird. How can those two things possibly live together, that someone could be both beloved but also be an enemy? Um, So, the word enemy might feel kind of harsh. Um, Many of us know non-believers, right? They are our brothers and sisters, our friends, our co-workers. These are people that we live beside. And and we look at them and oftentimes we're like, are they really an enemy of God? I mean, they're not burning down churches or persecuting Christians. Like, I don't know that God would really say that they're an enemy. But unfortunately, that's exactly what they are. And I don't want to say that like lighthearted, right, in a, in a way that seems like I don't care about it. Obviously, I just talked about the fact that they're beloved enemies, but these people are enemies of God. And we, too, were once enemies of God. And this is why, right, because we, when we look back at Genesis and we see the original sin... We look at Adam and Eve and the way they ate of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. See, they weren't just disobeying dad. They didn't just do something that God didn't want them to do. That's not what the original sin was. But what they did when Eve took that apple and took a bite of it, she was saying, I want to be God. I want to be the Lord of my own life. I don't want a king. And that same sin has been passed on to every generation and it was passed on to you and me. We are born with the desire to be God. And so we build up our own little kingdoms. And oftentimes we point our finger and we condemn the kingdoms that are clearly bad, the the kingdoms of sex and drugs and rock and roll. Right? But those are clearly bad, right? We look at Vegas and we go, oh, yeah, that's the world's kingdom. That's bad. But I think the kingdom that we most often see and interact with is the kingdom of me and mine. The kingdom of family. The kingdom of comfort. The kingdom of property and possessions, right? Like those are our next door neighbors and our coworkers. And sometimes that's still us building up our own kingdom. But the truth is, is there's only one king and everything belongs to him. And if we build up our kingdom on his land, then we are putting ourselves in opposition to him. Our sin has made us enemies. But what is so amazing about God is that we are also beloved enemies. He doesn't just want to doesn't just want to crush his enemy, even though he absolutely could. And he says, I love them so much, right? When we when we think about God and we look at the life of Jesus and all that he's done. I mean, think about like the most famous verse that we all know by heart, right? John three sixteen, for God so loved the world, for God so loved his beloved enemy. 
that he gave his son so that anyone who would believe in him wouldn't perish, but that they would inherit everlasting life. What a good God that would love his enemy and seek to have them reconciled in right relationship with them instead of just crushing them. See, God's beloved enemies are fully loved by God, but totally against his lordship. So if this is who the world is, then who are we, right? That's, if that's kind of going to be, if that's how we change our focus on how am I supposed to view others that do not believe and follow Christ, okay, how am I supposed to see myself? Because we also see ourselves wrongly. And so let's pick back up in verse 17 and see what Paul says. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Listen. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the word of God. What we see Paul saying here is he gives these two characteristics. He's telling them, this is what your identity is. Let me tell you what it is because you're not seeing it rightly. He says, one, you're an ambassador. That is who you are. And then he also says something crazy, right? He says that because of what Jesus has done, you are righteous. So what does it mean to be an ambassador? You might already know that word, but you might not. Um, I'm not that smart of a guy, so I have to look things up um, or need people to explain it. So um, an ambassador is a high-ranking official that a king would send out as a representative and a messenger into another kingdom, right, or into another place, and he would, he would send them. And, and when the ambassador goes, it's as if the king himself was going, right? It's like he is a representative. And is it when, when he speaks, it's as if the king himself is speaking. That's what an ambassador is. And it says, well, that's what we are. And then he also says that we are the righteousness of God. Now, I don't know about you, But oftentimes I would hear those two things and say, I am unqualified for that job and I am not righteous. I think that that is how we see ourselves so often. We feel unable and unrighteous. 
How am I supposed to be able to go out and do what God is calling me to do? So like so many of us feel like, man, I can't even go share the gospel with my neighbors because I, can I, I don't know how to say it. So we just leave that to the professional Christians, right? Like they can go do that. I'll just be nice to people. Or we feel unrighteous. Like, I mean, how am I supposed to live missionally, go out into other kingdoms, when I feel like if people saw my life, they would actually be like, you don't look anything like Jesus. You're broken and messed up. And and you know what? Like, sometimes that's true, right? And, like, sometimes I feel that way. I felt that way most of my life. I can't possibly be an ambassador for Christ because I am unable and unrighteous. But I spent most of my life with God's beloved enemies. They were the people that I was called to, drawn to. I didn't always feel at home inside the church. Even though I loved God, sometimes when I was in fellowship with God's people, I just didn't feel at home there. I was being drawn and pulled and compelled into the spaces where God's beloved enemies were. And it was in those spaces that because I love God, I would try to share the gospel and I would do a terrible job. I guarantee you, I said so many heresies, who knows. But I would do my best. And I, and I had this friend, this one friend uh, named Patrick, who was a beloved enemy of God. And he was a pothead. And those were always my best friends um, in high school, were potheads, because potheads don't want to do anything. They just want to sit and talk. And that's really all I wanted to do. Um, by God's grace, I wasn't really into weed that much, but, but I love to sit. I love to sit and have conversations. I hope it's okay that I'm being this frank. I don't know if there's kids in here. Okay. So I, yeah, I just didn't, I didn't love it. I didn't like the way it made me feel. Um, but I did love to just sit on a porch and have a conversation. So that space gave me so many opportunities to share the gospel poorly with my friend Patrick. And I did the best I could. But the thing is, is I went out by myself. Like I didn't have brothers and sisters in Christ that were going with me into these spaces and with these people. And because of that, I fell all the time. I felt unrighteous because I was a terrible representative of Christ. Why would my friend Patrick ever believe the things I say about Jesus whenever he looks at me? Years later, when I began to follow Jesus more faithfully, and I hadn't been spending as much time with Patrick and I called them because I just felt like God was saying, you need to apologize for what you've done. So I remember calling my friend Patrick and just telling him, man, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that I was a hypocrite. I'm sorry that I made a mockery of the cross and of Christ. I'm sorry that I let you down. And I remember apologizing and apologizing, and he would—he stopped me in the middle. He's like, "Russell, Russell, Russell, what are you, what are you talking about?" 
He said, Russell, you're the best Christian I've ever known. And I remember getting off the phone and thinking, how is that possible? How could he have possibly seen Christ in me? The way that I was living. Around the same time as that phone call, Megan and I were uh, getting much deeper into our relationship. And I just started to feel this joy and this love unlike anything I'd ever experienced before. Any of you who are married, you know what that feeling is. Where you're like, man, this is like, oh, this is everything that I need. This is wonderful. Like, this love is amazing. Even though, like, I know that she's not a perfect person. It was just like everything I needed. And there was this day I was journaling about it. And I felt like I just had this revelation. It was almost like I was able to just see all the way through Megan. All of who she was and all of the love that I was feeling. And I felt like what I saw was Jesus in her. And I kind of had this picture, I felt like the Lord gave me, of him handing me a rose, and that rose was a Megan. And what he was saying is, all of that love that you are feeling from Megan is not Megan's love, but it's my love for you coming through Megan. All she is is a rose. But the love is mine. And I'm giving it to you. I love you. And so from that moment on, I began to view people in my life, the, the people that loved me as roses. They were these representatives from God carrying a message of love to me. And I can see now that that's what God was able to use me as in Patrick's life. Despite my brokenness, he gave Patrick the ability to see through me and into the love and affection of God. God made me a rose. And that is who we are. That's your identity when we read this passage, when we talk about being an ambassador for Christ, carrying a message of reconciliation. We have a God and a king who is sending us out like a rose into his beloved enemy's kingdom and telling us, he says, just show my love, be an expression and communicate that his love is for them. Who we are are roses sent to God's beloved enemy. I'm probably going way over in time. I'm sorry. I'm not going to stop, though. Um, So what are we supposed to do about that? If that is who we are, right? Like the, the good news of that is that you don't really have to do anything. It is who you are. But one thing you can't do is hide under a basket, right? When we know in Scripture, when God says, don't put your light under a basket, don't, don't hide 
Don't retreat. Don't run from the world, but recognize that you are a rose being sent out. But if you are going to do something, I just want to give you guys some applications, I guess. It's very messy. This is one of the messiest applications I've ever written. Um, I don't even know why I bothered to write it. But <laughs> yeah. But um, this, is, this is what I think that we can do if we're going to do anything. I think we need unity and authenticity. But what I mean by unity is that I just don't think that you should go out alone. I, I did that. I tried to go out into the world and I tried to do it by myself. But all I did, instead of influencing the people around me, I became influenced, right? We, we can't go alone. But I think that there are some of you that might be feeling called. Maybe the spirit is stirring where you're like, yes, I'm meant to be an ambassador to go out into these places. I need to go. But the problem that you're going to face, hopefully not in this church, but the problem what you will likely face from what I've seen is that you will try to go out and you'll be asking your brothers and sisters to go with you and they're going to say, no, no, no. I don't want to go. And then you'll feel like you have to go out by yourself. So whenever I say don't go alone, what I'm really saying to you all is don't let your brothers and sisters go alone. Don't sit here in your pews twiddling your thumbs while you let somebody else go out and be an ambassador. Don't leave them behind because I felt left behind. We need to be there for each other. And so so take your family, take your small group, take anyone. It can just be one other person. I don't care. Just take somebody that loves Jesus. They can be broken and messy and not have it all figured out. But just go and find somebody. Pick a people. It can be your kid's baseball team. It can be the school that you attend. It can be... Your coworkers, it can be your neighborhood. It doesn't have to be your neighborhood. It can be your friend's neighborhood. But just find some people and then pick a people that you're going to be missional towards, that you're going to be an ambassador to. Sometimes we get so caught up on our own callings, feeling like, oh, I don't really feel called to those people. No, you are called to God's beloved enemy. Stop waiting. And then what I mean by being authentic. So I I was wrestling whether I should even say this point. Um, Steve is a very authentic person. I really like him for that reason. I think he's a very authentic leader. And so I trust that that cultivates an authentic church. Um, But we just can't help it. But... But whenever, whenever the extent of our mission is inviting people into church, is all they ever see is us 
in our best dress and on our best behavior. They see the most polished version of us, even if sometimes it's not that polished, right? Like, because we're trying to be authentic. But this is still like, this is, this is like the best we get. People aren't really seeing our mess. And that's what we need, right? We need to be entering into spaces where people can see our brokenness. They can see that, that we fall short and we don't have it all figured out, right? People need to see whenever we're sick. Or maybe our wives are struggling with cancer or our parents are dying or whatever it is. They need to see those moments when we're grieving it. And they need to, to see us whenever we're feeling anxious because maybe like you lost your job or maybe the, the bills are just building up and you're like, I'm anxious and I don't know if God's going to provide. Let them see those moments. Or maybe let them see whenever you and your spouse get into an argument. They can see that you're a normal human being who gets in arguments. But don't, but don't stop there. You actually need to stay around these people long enough. Long enough for them to see where Christ comes in, right? They get to see that whenever you're sick, that God begins to heal or comfort you. They see that even though you were anxious about how God was going to provide, that they see God come through. They get to see after that argument with your wife or with your husband, they get to see you repent and confess and forgive. See, it's in the mess of our life that people get to see Christ. They get to see what it really means to be a Christian on Monday and Wednesday and Friday. And that's what people need. That's where we find hope. So I don't know how much time I have. I think I went over, but um, we're going to, I think we're going to do ministry time. Um, So we'll have... um, the band will come up and is going to lead us in a song. Um, and there will be ministry teams that are up here for prayer or you can take communion. I love that there's communion up here. Um, part of me was really hoping that there would be communion, but I didn't want to ask for it. Um, and so I'm really grateful. And so just during this time, this is my encouragement for you all. Think that we can express this sometimes we don't want to come forward but however it is that god leads you to express this but you guys do me a favor and just go ahead and close your eyes um, however it is that god is leading you this morning maybe just during this song you need to raise your hands up and just say god god send me let me hear i even though i've been viewing myself wrongly Lord, I believe that you have made me the righteousness of God, that you have made me an ambassador and a rose to your beloved enemy. Send me out. I think that today, if you're, if you're wrestling with sin, and we're, we're all wrestling with sin, you don't need to feel like you're more sinful because of anything else. But like, if, you're, if you're just really struggling to believe that I'm righteous, 
if you're struggling to believe that God can actually see through all of your sin and all of your brokenness and he sees into the depths of you and what he sees there is Christ and goodness and holiness and righteousness and it's, it's there and that's, that's what he sees when he looks at you. But you don't see that when you look at yourself. And I want to encourage you to come up and take communion. And remember that he who knew no sin became sin. He broke his body and he shed his blood so that you might become the righteousness of God. Just come and receive prayer for anything that's stirring in your heart this morning. I'm just going to pray for us and we'll head into that time. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that the love of Christ would control us. Lord, I pray that first, first, We would be overwhelmed by your affection for us, that even though we were once your enemies, God, you were kind. And you sent a rose to us to show us your goodness and your love and your affection for us. And I thank you for the fact that that we were able to be reconciled to you. Lord, I pray that our gratitude for your love would just push us and compel us and lead us into your beloved enemy's kingdoms. And that you would use us despite us in those places. Lord, may your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven.